Welcome. This is DIY Narrator Podcast, episode 11. And look at that. We're into triple digit episode numbers now. And if you haven't noticed, I changed up the intro to just the music because I kind of feel like I've basically been making the same joke for the last 10 episodes, including episode zero. So for now, we're just going to go with the intro music track and maybe if inspiration strikes me, which could be interpreted as I feel the need to procrastinate, I'll go ahead and write up a new intro. But I don't think I'm going to go with the standard podcast intro because if I'm doing my own intro, then I start talking. How will you know when the show actually starts? Speaking of starting the show, I'm about three months in now, and we've had quite a few questions come in. And I answered most of them live on LinkedIn or via email. I actually answered all of them live on LinkedIn or via email, unless I missed one. But I thought I'd share a few with the listeners who didn't actually ask the question, and I'll also share my answers. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of the question, and then talk through the answer I gave. And I might also talk about whether or not I still agree with my answer, or if I have more things that I've thought of since because that could really depend on, you know, the day. Also, I have a little announcement to let you know about. And for that, stay tuned until the end of the episode, because you have to be left in suspense, right? First, to the questions. The first question, which is a great one, that I want to cover a little more thoroughly in another episode, but I still want to touch on here, was one about the tone of your narration delivery. And the question was, One topic that's often on my mind is the formality or authority I use when narrating. Learners might relate better to a natural or conversational voice, but should a more authoritative tone be used when providing instruction versus supplementary information? And that is a fantastic question without a definite answer. I'm going to give you two answers to this. Short one first, then a long one. Short one is always lean more to the conversational side. And I say that because the intent of your narration is more often than not to engage learners than it is to get learners to think of you as some sort of authority on the topic. And authoritative is a word that lends itself to a particular picture in my head, at least, of, you know, a grumpy old bossy teacher just telling you to sit down and shut up and do your work. You don't want to be that. So I guess we're already getting into the longer answer here. When picking your tone, which honestly, I don't really do that much because I really feel like the script and the content and thinking about who the learner is will inform the tone automatically. If you do that, if you get into a situation in your head where you're understanding who these learners are, you're understanding who is going to be listening to it, you're going to kind of naturally fall into the tone. And this is going to work really well for those of you who work for the company where the e-learning module is going to be consumed. If you're a trainer or a developer at a company and you understand the culture and you understand the people, you're already going to talk like the people in the company. And because of that, just let your tone be you. Honestly, what it comes down to is you should hear you when you listen back to it. It should be like you delivered the message in a live training one-on-one with your learners. If you're just instructing them on how to perform a new task or how to use some new software, it's going to be pretty light. But if it's something like sexual harassment training or something on maybe you work in a financial world and it's a very serious regulation that maybe you had an employee or former employee violate and now you need more training on and it's a serious situation, your tone is automatically going to sound more serious if you think about the intent of the message you're trying to deliver 
and your listeners. That said, your tone can be serious, but you don't have to have a non-conversational delivery. You can still impart conversationality into the delivery. For example, you can use colloquialisms that already exist within speech or within the company. You can use contractions like it's instead of it is. Instead of saying we are, you can say we're. Instead of saying going to, you can say gonna. Honestly, I say that out loud and you're going to be like, gonna? Who's going to say gonna in a professional context? You're gonna. I'm going to tell you that. You're going to say it. Because it's just how we talk. Talk how you talk. In any situation, if it's a natural situation, you're going to automatically adapt to that situation. and You're going to deliver the message in a way that's effective. Let that happen when you're recording your narrations and you'll be good to go. You won't even have to think about conversationality or authority or speaking like an expert. Because if you understand the content, if you understand the intent, and you understand your learner, that's all going to take care of itself. Also, go back and listen to episode 1, diynarrator.com slash 001. There's some performance tips in there that'll help kind of loosen you up and help you remove some of the problems that you might have when you get in front of the mic. Because getting in front of a mic is different than getting in front of a group of people. I'm sitting here just kind of staring at a wall and talking to myself, but I hope it sounds like I could be staring at a wall and <laughs> maybe not staring at a wall. I could be staring at you, looking you in the eye and having this conversation with you directly, whoever you are. Thank you for listening. All right, on to the next question. This question also really interesting. What are some good suggestions for how or when to combine music and what kind as either intros or transitions or underlying the narration? I know there's lots of choices, but as a novice, you learn creator and podcaster, any safe advice would be appreciated. This is a cool question, and it's one that, honestly, I love to do. I actually love to mix audio under voice and actually produce final spots, but I don't get to do it nearly enough. As the voiceover talent, a lot of times I'm just shipping off dry voice to people, especially in the commercial world, dry, untouched, here's my voice, and they do whatever they need to do with it to make it sound however they need to make it sound. And in the e-learning world, there isn't a lot of production involved in that realm. There's not a lot of audio mixing and sound effects and cool stuff like that. One thing I wish I would have maybe done with DIY Narrator, and I think this would translate well to e-learning, is add bumpers of some sort. If you think about how commercials work and television works, and radio works, and uh, some podcasts. I mean, if you listen to some of the really highly produced podcasts from NPR, you'll hear a lot of production value in them. But you'll also notice that there are elements that are always the same, and they cue your brain, they prime your brain to prepare for whatever comes after that, right? You might hear a little chime or a little sound, and then you might get the weather, or a little chime and a little sound, you might get through. Ooh, that's a good thought. The Weather Channel always has local on the eights. So you get your local weather on the eights. But that background music is always kind of the same. And the intro music to that thing is always kind of the same. So not only do you always expect it at 8 after, 18 after, 28 after, 38 after, on and on and on. You're keyed in to expect it by the sound. So if you could think of how you might use that in an e-learning context... Maybe you could key in someone to expect a review question or some sort of exercise by a particular sound in your e-learning module. So maybe there's dun, 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 and then 
they have to do a test or something. And so then their brain will know after a few reps of this that here's that sound and then it has to switch over from learning mode to application mode. There's got to be some science behind that, but I'm literally, like I said, just standing in a small room and staring at a wall. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some science behind that. There's got to be though, because it works so well. If you think of radio bumpers and all the stuff that happens on a radio station between the music and the commercials, it all kind of has the same sound. And then you'll hear those and you know that it's a break in what was just happening. So there's some music, there's a stinger or a bumper. And maybe a voiceover talent comes on and says, FM 99. And then all of a sudden, you go into commercials. Or it comes back to the DJ. There's those kind of cues that cue your brain into knowing that something changed and something else is going to happen. I need to prepare for this. So now I'm not listening to music anymore. I'm getting sold to. So there's marketing happening here. And so I need to tune it out or change the station. So... (laughs) No, you should keep listening because that's how I make part of my money. So if people stopped listening to the commercials, nothing would probably change. All right, I rambled on enough about my theories on bumpers and stuff like that. Let's talk about the underlying music bed. Music bed is interesting. I think it's used quite a bit less in e-learning, but it probably fits well in some spots like the intro slide. Maybe when a user's performing an activity, there's a lot of studies on how some music can help the brain focus a little bit. I know I used to write a ton of code and this is a bit crazy, but I would literally pick two songs that didn't have a ton going on that I knew pretty well. Most recently I did this with, uh, they might be giants. I listened to birdhouse in your soul and, ah, what's the other track? There were two tracks. I would loop the two tracks over and over again. They might not be a good example of music that doesn't have a lot going on, but after you get through the loop, you listen to the two songs more than maybe three or four times, it becomes kind of a drone in the background and you can kind of just lock in and do your work. So there is something to having a non-distracting loop in the background when someone needs to apply some skills that really helps. One other thing that I know happens in the e-learning world, and it should happen probably a lot more, is if you're learning in the context And you have background sounds that are going on that are also the sounds you're going to hear while you're performing the tasks that you're learning. There's something to be said for that as well. So if you're maybe a barista, training baristas, maybe there's kind of coffee shop sound going on in the background. Maybe you work in a hospital, there's some muffled announcements going on, there's some some noise of trays rattling. I'm trying to think of like what would what would be happening in a hospital. But there's some ambient noises that might be recognizable to them while they're performing the task that they're learning. And then when they get into that, they could uh, be maybe triggered to remember the task based on the, the music around them. Maybe it won't be that big of a switch for their brain. More pretend brain science from Josh Risser. You're welcome. So I think I rambled on enough about music and background, but that's uh, that's interesting stuff. There's some some theory there that I might have to do some uh, some research on. All right, let's move on to the next question. The next question has to do with speeding up playback. Are you aware of any recommendations that make sure the sped up voice still sounds clear? Because a lot of audio and video players allow viewers or listeners to speed up the playback. Honestly, I can't think of a ton of things that you could do post-production to improve clarity, but there are a few things that come to mind that might help. Number one, and this is something you might want to do all the time anyway, is use 
EQ to attenuate some of the frequencies that add a little extra mud to the voice and it'll kind of clear up the sound of the voice and then you won't be fighting that as well in the faster playback. In the male voice, there's usually a, right around 250 hertz. You turn that down, maybe a dB or two, and you're gonna have to play with it and you'll clear up some of the mud. And you can boost some presence on the high end. Uh, you have to be careful with this though because you might add some sibilance, but it'll be around 5,000 hertz to, or five kilohertz to maybe seven, nine. It'll be different for a male and female voice. So you have to play with that a little bit. Just a little bit. You want to boost it maybe half a dB or one dB just to kind of boost those higher frequencies that'll add a little clarity, remove some of the mud from the low end. There's a thing called a high pass filter that knocks out the low rumble on the voice. And you might want to take that around 80 hertz or so, 90 hertz to cut out the low end. All of this can be done in the EQ. And usually there's a high pass filter right there and you just bump the little sliders and stuff. So if you look at it, if you need to do it, let me know and I can kind of help you walk you through it a little more. Host at DIYNarrator.com. Another approach might be to make sure your narrator is speaking clearly and enunciating. Under normal circumstances, I tend to suggest not over-enunciating because it doesn't sound as conversational. People are comfortable with a little bit of slurred words and running some words together and not hitting all those T's at the end like it and post. But I'll make it feel a little more scripted and a little less real if they're enunciating really well. But if you think people are going to be speeding it up because they have that option, then that might help quite a bit. Depending on how fast they bump it up, you might not be able to help. If they bump it to two, two times speed or higher, you might just be out of luck. That's on the learner, really. I mean, that's the decision that they made. I listen to some podcasts at a higher speed, but the ones I really want to learn from, I slow them down. So you should be listening to this one at half speed. Next question, and this is a toughie. Do you have any suggestions on how to make two tracks have similar room profiles? We have two tracks that were recorded in the same room, but in different positions in the room. The speaker was a different distance from the microphone both times, so they sound totally different. This one's really tough, and it actually could be pretty complex, and you could do a lot of work, and you might not get it perfect. So we have one person in one mic in one room on two different days in two different locations in the room at two different distances from the microphone. So if you have listened to any of these episodes for DIY Narrator, you know that the room tone makes a big difference in matching up recordings. There was an episode on matching up recordings. It was episode six. So head over to DIYNarrator.com slash 006 if you want to learn more about updating old recordings and doing your best to get them to match. Throw a little spoiler out here. The spoiler is the best way to get old recordings to match new recordings is to think ahead about the things that will make them sound different, such as distance from the microphone the room tone, noise in the room, and making sure your recording space is well treated. That's basically that whole episode in 15 seconds. So back to the actual question and maybe a few things to think about on ways you might be able to fix this. You have a problem in a number of different spots. Number one, the voice is going to sound different because as I'm closer to the microphone, it sounds different here than if I'm further away from the microphone here. And then this is where I think I was before. I hope that actually sounds different. So you have a different sounding voice in that situation. The echo is going to sound different. So the way the voice bounces around the room is going to be entirely different in different places in that room. So if you move from one corner of the room to the middle of the room to a different corner of the room, even if you're right close to the mic, 
you're going to sound different in all three of those spots or the room is going to sound different. That's something you're going to have to really fight with. And the third thing is if there's ambient sound, and in this case there was an HVAC unit or an air conditioner, something like that, so you can hear the air running. If you're further or closer to whatever the source of that sound is, that sound is going to sound different. You're going to have some trouble with that as well. So those are the few things we need to try to address. And it's not really a simple trick to fix them. What you can try to do is try to get them as close as possible. So the first thing we want to try to tackle in this case is the ambient sound or the room tone. This might help cover up the difference in some of the voice characteristics. So what you want to do is take one track, run it through Audacity's noise reduction, grab a sample of that noise and try to try to get the noise out of a track completely best you can. Then go to the other track with some background noise, take a snippet of that noise. Hopefully it loops really, really well and very clean. So loop it and then lay that down behind the one you just removed all the noise from. Normally, you don't want background noise in there, but you've got some and you need to try to get these tracks to match up. So laying the same background sound or background noise all the way across that voice track, including where the speaker is speaking, might help clean that out. It's not really a great thing to do in most cases, but in this case, it might also help knock down the difference in the way the voice sounds echoing in the room because you've got the room tone kind of matched. That's that. The next that I want to tackle is the way the voice sounds based on the distance from the mic. If the voice is closer, there's going to be a better signal to noise ratio. There's going to be more signal from that voice than there is background noise when that voice is speaking. When the voice is further away, there's going to be more noise relative to the, how good the signal of the voice is. What you're going to have to do is probably EQ the better version, the more kind of robust and warm and full sounding voice so it doesn't sound as good as it does and cut out some of the fullness in the voice to bring it closer to the one that doesn't sound as great or sounds further away. So you're going to go in and you're going to start pulling those sliders down, do these one at a time in just a little bit, pull down some of the low mid-range, uh, especially for like a male speaker, maybe 500 to 800 hertz to pull out some of the fullness in the voice and get it maybe a little closer to the other one. You're not going to be able to take the lower quality or the less robust sounding voice and make it better by bumping the EQ up. You didn't record that tone in the voice, so it's not there. So bumping some stuff up in the EQ, you're not, you're not going to make it sound better than it already sounds. So what you have to do is take the better one and make it sound worse. Which again, usually not good advice, but if you want to get these to sound the same, that's, that's the direction you're going to have to go. Finally, the most difficult part is the sound of the room itself as the voice echoes around. Not the sound of like the HVAC, the background noise, but the sound of the echo of the voice in the room. For this one, it's going to be really, honestly, this is all going to be really hard to get it all sound the same, but you're going to have to do the, th the thing that you never do in voiceover and add a little bit of reverb potentially to the track as an effect, and you're going to really need to tweak it. It's going to be a small room kind of reverb. You might already have a preset with whatever reverb you have in your DAW to kind of modify the sound of the voice and make it a little echoey to match the more echoey track because without the right software i'm just going to assume that you haven't purchased software 
that can remove echo from a track. There is some deverb from Isotope. Does an okay job. Does a pretty good job. But it still can add some weird sounding artifacts to the audio. Without purchasing that software, the next thing you want to try to do is take the less echoey track, whichever one sounds less boomy or echoey, and add some echo to that. Again, not good advice under most circumstances, but when you need to make voice sound the same as another voice or as close as you can, all of that said, the best thing might just be assuming, okay, the best thing is just re-recording one or the other or both to make them sound the same, but sometimes you can't do that because of time or budget or whatever. Maybe don't mess with it and make them sound, make them just sound different and, and don't really worry about it. A lot of some of the differences and like the richness of the voice and even some of the echo is not going to show through as much when someone's listening on computer speakers or really crappy laptop speakers. Through better earbuds, they might be able to hear some of the difference a little better, but you know, you, you got to work with what you've got. And if you can't redo it or fix it in some way, then you know, you got to do what you got to do with what you've got. All right. So officially this Q&A episode has gone, I think, longer than most all of my other episodes have ever gone. I'm pushing 25-ish minutes or so. So it's time to wrap it up. Oh, the announcement. I almost forgot about that. The announcement that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I will be in Las Vegas in October for DevLearn. If you're going to DevLearn, let me know that you're going to DevLearn. And uh, we can meet up. I want to get some DIY narrator stickers. So if you want to, if you're a sticker fan... You get yourself a sticker and you can put it on something that's not going to incriminate me in some way or be considered vandalism. But anyway, that's the announcement. I'll see you at DevLearn if you're going to be there in October. End of October, what's the 23rd? I really should have looked this up ahead of time. Not going to do it now. Anyway, uh, that's all. That's the announcement. That's the Q&A episode. This was fun. I really did enjoy the Q&A episode. So, If you have questions, please, please send them in. I want to answer them. We'll see you next time on the next episode of DIY Narrator. If you want to see some show notes, which I don't know what's going to be in the show notes for this. I might link to a few things I mentioned. Check it out, diynarrator.com slash 011. Hit me up with any questions at host at diynarrator.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Josh Risser, R-I-S-S-E-R. I'll see you next time. Get out there, do some great work.